Mildred Lawson. Chapter Two of Celibates by George Moore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by James Carson. What a fright I am looking! I did not get to sleep till two o'clock. The heat was something dreadful, and today will be hotter still. One doesn't know what to wear. She settled the ribbons in her white dress and looked once again in the glass to see if the soft, almost fluffy hair which the least breath disturbed was disarranged. She smoothed it with her short white hand. There was a wistful expression in her brown eyes, a little pathetic won't-you-care-for-me expression which she cultivated, knowing its charm in her somewhat short, rather broad face which ended in a pointed chin. The nose was slightly tip-tilted, her teeth were white but too large. Her figure was delicate, and with quick steps she hurried along the passages and down the high staircase. Harold was standing before the fireplace, reading the Times, when she entered. "'You are rather late, Mildred. I am afraid I shall lose the ten minutes past nine. My dear Harold, you have gone up to town for the last ten years by that train, and every day we go through a little scene of fears and doubts. You have never yet missed it. I may safely assume you will not miss it this morning. I'm afraid I shall have to order the cart, and I like to get a walk if possible in the morning. I can walk it in twelve minutes. I shouldn't like to walk it in this broiling sun in fifteen. By the way, have you looked at the glass this morning? No. I am tired of looking at it. It never moves from set fair. It is intolerably hot. Can you sleep at night? No, I didn't get to sleep till after two. I lay awake thinking of Mrs. Fargus. I never saw you talk to a woman like that before. I wonder what you see in her. She's very plain, I dare say. She's very clever. But she never says anything, at least not to me. She talks fast enough on her own subjects. You didn't try to draw her out. She requires drawing out. But it wasn't so much Mrs. Fargus as having a woman in the house. It makes one's life so different. One feels more at ease. I think I ought to have a companion. Have a middle-aged lady here, who would bore me with her conversation all through dinner when I come home from the city tired and worn out. But you don't think that your conversation when you come home from the city tired and worn out has no interest whatever for me that this has turned out a good investment, that the shares have gone up and will go up again. I should like to know how I am to interest myself in all that. What has it to do with me? What has it to do with you? How do you think that this house and grounds, carriages and horses and servants, glass houses without end, are paid for? Do I ever grumble about the dressmaker's bills? and heaven knows they are high enough. I believe all your hats and hosiery are put down to house expenses, but I never grumble. I let you have everything you want, horses, carriages, dresses, servants. You ought to be the happiest girl in the world in this beautiful place. Beautiful place. I hate the place, I hate it. A nasty, gaudy, vulgar place in a vulgar suburb where nothing but money-grubbing is thought of from morning, noon, till night. How much percentage can be got out of everything? 
cut down the salaries of the employees, work everything on the most economic basis. It does not matter what the employees suffer so long as 7% dividend is declared at the end of the year. I hate the place. My dear, dear Mildred, what are you saying? I never heard you talk like this before. Mrs. Fargus has been filling your head with nonsense. I wish I had never asked her to the house. Absurd little creature with her eternal talk about culture, her cropped hair, and her spectacles glimmering. What nonsense she has filled your head with. Mrs. Fargus is a very clever woman. I think I should like to go to Girton. Go to Girton? Yes, go to Girton. I've never had any proper education. I should like to learn Greek. Living here, cooped up with a man all one's life, isn't my idea. I should like to see more of my own sex. Mrs. Fargus told me about the emulation of the classrooms, about the gymnasium, about the dances the girls had in each other's rooms. She never enjoyed any dances like those. She said that I must feel lonely living in a house without another woman. I know what'll it be. I shall never hear the end of Mrs. Fargus. I wish I'd never asked them. Men are so selfish. If by any chance they do anything that pleases anyone but themselves, how they regret it. Harold was about the middle height, but he gave the impression of a small man. He was good-looking, but his features were without charm, for his mind was uninteresting. A dry, barren mind, a somewhat stubby mind, but there was an honest kindliness in his little eyes which was absent from his sister's. The conversation had paused, and he glanced quickly every now and then at her pretty, wistful face, expressive at this moment of much irritated and nervous dissatisfaction. Also an irritated obstinacy lurked in her eyes, and knowing how obstinate she was in her ideas, Harold sincerely dreaded that she might go off to Girton to learn Greek. Any slightest word might precipitate the catastrophe. I think at least that I might have a companion, she said at last. Of course you can have a companion if you like, Mildred, but I thought you were going to marry Alfred Stanby. You objected to him. You said he had nothing that he couldn't afford to marry. Yes, until he got his appointment, but I hear now he's nearly certain of it. I don't think I could marry Alfred. You threw Lumley over, who was an excellent match for Alfred. So long as Alfred wasn't in a position to marry you, you would hear of no one else, and now— But you don't mean to say you are going to throw him over. I don't know what I shall do. Well— I have no time to discuss the matter with you now. It is seven minutes to nine. I shall only have just time to catch the train by walking very fast. Good-bye. Please, ma'am, any orders today for the butcher? Always the same question. How tired I am of hearing the same words. I suppose it is very wicked of me to be so discontented, thought Mildred, as she sat on the sofa with her key-basket in her hand but I have got so tired of Sutton. I know I shouldn't bother Harold. He is very good, and he does his best to please me. It is very odd. I was all right till Mrs. Fargus came. She upset me. 
It was all in my mind before, no doubt, but she brought it out. Now I can't interest myself in anything. I really don't care to go to this tennis party, and the people who go there are not in the least interesting. I am certain I should not meet a soul whom I should care to speak to. No, I won't go there. There's a lot to be done in the greenhouses, and in the afternoon I will write a long letter to Mrs. Fargus. She promised to send me a list of books to read. There was nothing definite in her mind, but something was germinating within her, and when the work of the day was done she wondered at the great tranquillity of the garden. The servant was there in a print dress, and the violet of the skies and the green of the trees seemed to be closing about her like a tomb. How beautiful Mildred mused softly. I wish I could paint that. A little surprised and startled, she went upstairs to look for her box of watercolors. She had not used it since she left school. She found also an old block with a few sheets remaining, and she worked on and on, conscious only of the green stillness of the trees and the romance of rose and grey that the sky unfolded. She had begun her second watercolour, and was so intent upon it as not to be aware that a new presence had come into the garden. Alfred Stanby was walking toward her. He was a tall, elegantly dressed, good-looking young man. "'What? Painting? I thought you had given it up. Let me see. Oh, Alfred, how you startled me!' He took the sketch from the girl's lap, and handing it back, he said, "'I suppose you had nothing else to do this afternoon. It was too hot to go out in the cart. Do you like painting?' "'Yes, I think I do.' They were looking at each other, and there was a questioning look in the girl's eyes for she perceived in that moment more distinctly than she had before the difference in their natures. "'Have you finished the smoking-cap you are making for me?' "'No, I did not feel inclined to go on with it.' Something in Mildred's tone of voice and manner struck Alfred, and dropping his self-consciousness, he said, "'You thought that I'd like a watercolour sketch better.' Mildred did not answer. I should like to have some drawings to hang in the smoking-room when we're married. But I like figures better than landscapes. You never tried horses and dogs, did you? No, I never did, Mildred answered languidly, and she continued to work on her sky. But her thoughts were far from it, and she noticed that she was spoiling it. No, I never tried horses and dogs. But you could, dearest, if you were to try. You could do anything you tried. You are so clever. I don't know that I am. I should like to be. They looked at each other, and anxiously each strove to read the other's thoughts. Landscapes are more suited to a drawing-room than a smoking-room. It will look very well in your drawing-room when we're married. We shall want some pictures to cover the walls. At the word marriage, Mildred's lips seemed to grow thinner. The conversation paused. Alfred noticed that she hesitated, that she was striving to speak. She had broken off her engagement once before with him, and he had begun to fear that she was going to do so again. There was a look of mingled irresolution and determination in her face. She continued to work on her sky, but at every touch it grew worse. 
and feeling that she had irretrievably spoiled her drawing, she said, "'But do you think that we shall ever be married, Alfred?' "'Of course. Why? Are you going to break it off?' "'We have been engaged nearly two years, and there seems no prospect of our being married. Harold will never consent. It does not seem fair to keep you waiting any longer.' I'd willingly wait twenty years for you, Mildred. She looked at him a little tenderly, and he continued more confidently. But I am glad to say there is no longer any question of waiting. My father has consented to settle four hundred a year upon me, the same sum as your brother proposes to settle on you. We can be married when you like. She only looked at the spoiled watercolour and it was with difficulty that Alfred restrained himself from snatching it out of her hands. "'You do not answer. You heard what I said, that my father had agreed to settle four hundred a year upon me? I'm sure I'm very glad for your sake.' "'That's a very cold answer, Mildred. I think I can say that I'm sure of the appointment.' "'I'm glad, indeed I am, Alfred. But only for my sake?' Mildred sat looking at the watercolour. "'You see, our marriage has been delayed so long. Many things have come between us. What things?' "'Much that I'm afraid you do not understand. You've often reproached me,' she said, her voice quickening a little, with coldness. "'I'm cold. It is not my fault. I'm afraid I'm not like other girls. I don't think I want to be married.' This is Mrs. Fargus's doing. What do you want? I'm not quite sure. I should like to study. This must be Mrs. Fargus. I should like to do something. But marriage, marriage is not everything. There are other things. I should like to study art. But marriage won't prevent your studying art. I want to go away, to leave Sutton. I should like to travel. But we would travel. Our honeymoon. I don't think I could give up my freedom, Alfred. I've thought it all over. I'm afraid I'm not the wife for you. Someone else has come between us? Someone richer? Who's this other fellow? No, there's no one else. I assure you there's no one else. I don't think I shall marry at all. There are other things besides marriage. I'm not fitted for marriage. I'm not strong. I don't think I could have children. It would kill me. All this is the result of Mrs. Fargus. I can read her ideas in every word you say. Women like Mrs. Fargus ought to be ducked in the horse-pond. They're a curse. Mildred smiled. You're as strong as other girls. I never heard of anything being the matter with you. You're rather thin, that's all. You ought to go away for a change of air. I never heard such things, a young girl who has been brought up like you. I don't know what Harold would say. Not fitted for marriage, not strong enough to bear children. What conversations you must have had with Mrs. Fargus, studying art and the rest of it. Really, Mildred, I did not think a young girl ever thought of such things. We cannot discuss the subject. We had better let it drop. Yes, he said. We'd better say no more. The least said the soonest mended. You're ill. You don't know what you're saying. You're not looking well. You've been brooding over things. You'd better go away for a change. When you come back, you'll think differently. Go away for a change. Yes, she said. 
I've been thinking over things and am not feeling well. But I know my own mind now. I can never love you as I should like to. Then you'd like to love me. Ah, I will make you love me. I'll teach you to love me. Only give me the chance. I don't think I shall ever love, at least not as other girls do. He leaned forward and took her hand. He caught her other hand, and the movement expressed his belief in his power to make her love him. No, she said, resisting him. You cannot. I'm as cold as ice. Think what you're doing, Mildred. You're sacrificing a great love. No man will ever love you as I do. And for a lot of stuff about education that Mrs. Fargus has filled your head with. You're sacrificing your life for that, he said, pointing to the sketch that had fallen on the grass. Is it worth it? She picked up the sketch. It was better before you came, she said, examining it absent-mindedly. I went on working at it. I've spoiled it. Then, noticing the incongruity, she added, But it doesn't matter. Art is not the only thing in the world. There is good to be done if one only knew how to do it. I don't mean charity. Such goodness is only on the surface. It is merely a shortcut to the real, true goodness. Art may be only selfishness. Indeed, I am inclined to think it is. But art is education. Not the best, perhaps, but the best within my reach. Mildred, I really do not understand. You cannot be well, or you wouldn't talk so. I'm quite well, she said. I hardly expected you would understand. But I beg you to believe that I cannot act otherwise. My life is not with you. I feel sure of that. The words were spoken so decisively that he knew he would not succeed in changing her. Then his face grew pale with anger, and he said, Then everything you've said, all your promises, everything was a lie, a wretched lie. No, Alfred, I tried to believe. I did believe. But I had not thought much then. Remember, I was only eighteen. She gathered up her painting materials, and holding out her hand, said, won't you forgive me? No, I cannot forgive you. She saw him walk down the pathway, she saw him disappear in the shadow, and this rupture was all that seemed real in their love story. It was in his departure that she felt for the first time the touch of reality. End of Mildred, Chapter 2 Recording by James Carson